darkness and triumph, um, but we also get the glimmers of hope of uh, God's ultimate plan uh, for his son Jesus to be the fulfillment of all of those promises and provide that eternal kingdom for us. So the story so far, we've seen David and Solomon, who were kings over the whole of Israel, united Israel, but because of Solomon's let's say, issues with women, um, and unfortunately turning away from God, uh, God says your, your kingdom's going to be divided. Uh, so we're at a point now where you've got the house of Israel and the house of Judah, and uh, there's a promise that um, the Messiah will come through uh, David's line, Solomon's line, and you've got the house of Judah. So we're following mainly the, the kings of Judah, and we see that some are good, some are bad, um, Generally in the house of Israel, who, who are running alongside that, generally they have really bad kings because they're just completely turned away from God. Um, so today, looking at Jehoshaphat, he's generally considered a, a good king. Uh, but what's been interesting to know is just looking at some of the generational patterns that have come through, uh, not all good, and how each generation sort of tries to overcome the weaknesses of the past and maybe not live out uh, some of those uh, unhelpful patterns of their fathers. And you've got uh, Solomon, whose son, Rehoboam, unfortunately, he was one of the first kings of Judah when the kingdom was divided, didn't do a great job. He turned his way from God. His son didn't do a great job. What was encouraging, though, is King Asa, who we looked at last week, actually provided something new. He did something different. He's like, I'm not going to follow the ways of my father and my granddad, I actually want to follow Jesus, or God at that time. I want to follow God. Um, so that's really encouraging. So today, his son, Jehoshaphat, does the same thing. He says, I want to be like my father, and I want to follow the ways of God. So it's really encouraging. Ah, this is really interesting. So we've got Jehoshaphat. He's now the fourth king of Judah. So we see there, um, and running alongside that, you've got King Ahab, who, who's on the Israelite side. So I just thought it would be interesting to have a look at that and how it sort of plays out. Uh, if we go on the next slide, just gives you a bit of context. So we've got a north-south divide. So the Judean uh, kingdom, where Jehoshaphat was, is in the south. And then you see that they're just surrounded by enemies, essentially. You've got the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Philistine, and the northern region of Israel had the ten tribes, so it was bigger. So then you've got Judah, who are, they're trying to follow God, but then they're surrounded, actually, by tribes and nations who are not following God. Uh, so really, what Jehoshaphat would have been concerned about is, who's going to attack me next? Who should I make a political alliance with? Um, but at the heart of how he lived is actually desiring uh, the things of God and wanting to uh, carry out the will of God and wanting to uh, teach the people to love God. So he's generally considered a good king. But as we'll see, he has his moments of weakness and challenge. Uh, but overall, in God's mercy, he's, he's known as a, a good king. Uh, so if we look at the next slide, it just gives you a picture of just how scattered the nations were at that point. Not an easy time to be. Fractions, tribes, quite a difficult context to lead a nation. And you'll find the stories of the kings in the Old Testament. You'll find them in the book of Samuels, Chronicles, and the book of Kings. And they each, very similar to the gospel, they each are telling the same story. 
but from a slightly different perspective. So in Chronicles, it goes into a bit more detail about what the king struggled with. Um, our passage today, we're going to read through Kings, and that gives you a kind of overview of Jehoshaphat's life. Um, and then the book of Kings, really, um, the heart of it wants to show God's heart for uh, restoration of his people. But Chronicles just gives you a bit more details as to some of the problems that occurred. Uh, so let's read our passage uh, today. So we're going to go into 1 Kings 22, uh, 41 to 50. So Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abu Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. And he walked in all the way of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Yet the high places were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and made offerings in the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his might that he showed and how he warred, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of of the king of Judah? And from, the land of the, and from the land he exterminated the remnant of the male cult prostitutes who remained in the days of his father Asa. And there was no king in Edom, a deputy king. Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish to go out to Ophir for gold, but they did not go, for the ships were wrecked at Ezion Geba. But then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, "'Let my servants go with your servants in the ships.' But Jehoshaphat was not willing. And Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. So we're going to rest a little bit in, in verse 43, where it says, Jehoshaphat walked in the ways of his father, of Asa, his father, and he did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. And the thing about Jehoshaphat, he, I would say overall, he lived out his true legacy. Those promises that were given to David, that he would um, love God, that he would follow God. Overall, he took, he took from that side of his heritage. And um, I think what's really interesting, we all have those characters in our family, don't we? And stories, some of them good, some of them bad. And sometimes we, we think we have to live out of the past patterns. But I think as Christians, it's so important to have an understanding of our spiritual inheritance in Jesus. And just the freedom that comes, just knowing that we do not have to live out of the patterns that we've seen in the past. He's given us the power and he's empowered us under our new inheritance to live a different way. And I think for Jehoshaphat, he didn't follow the futile ways of some of his forefathers. But he took the good that he saw in David in having his heart set on the things of God. And as Christians today, we mirror that with our uh, freedom and our legacy in Jesus Christ. So we're going to look into Chronicles. Um, In 2 Chronicles 17, verse 3, it says, The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the earlier ways of his father David, He did not seek 
the Baals, which is an idol, but sought sorry, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the practices of Israel. So for me, looking at his life, he did three main things that were pleasing to God. He removed the male prostitutes. His, his father did a bit of that work, and he actually carried that on to completion. Um, he got rid of some of the high places. So if you look in Chronicles, it says he got rid of some of the high places, but the people actually carried on in their sort of idolatrous ways. So he did a bit of the work, but not all of it. So it's a bit of a mixed bag with that one. And I think one thing that he did really well is that the first thing he did when he started reigning is he, he asked for the teachers and the officials to teach God's word. And we'll see that this was a brilliant start to his reign. So in, in, in Chronicles, again, it says the f- one of the first things that he did was raise up teachers of God's word. He raised up the Levites and he sent them out and he said, we're going to teach God's word we're going to love God's word. We're going to follow God's word. And, and it says then, The Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all of Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor in abundance. So what had happened was he got the Judeans to start loving God, teaching God's word, And you see how Judah was surrounded by all the nations. They all just began to get scared. They didn't do anything. They didn't start a war. But they just saw that these people were following God and began to get scared. So what did they start doing? They started giving them gifts. So out of nowhere, Jehoshaphat is getting gifts and treasures and just being poured out onto. So like abundance, overflow. So it says that he became very rich. And that's from no warring. It's just... God's blessing. And it's wonderful to see God's honor and abundance, isn't it? Everything in that season was abundance and overflow. And often as Christians, we pray for abundance, don't we? We're just like, more, Lord. More, Lord. Except in those moments of overflow, sometimes we forget where it comes from. Sometimes we forget it actually starts with relying on God's word. Loving God's word, following his word, and living in submission to it. And we see actually in Jehoshaphat's story, he comes to a place of abundance, and then some bad habits start to creep in. Habits that we've seen in his, some of his forefathers, Solomon, making alliances with people that don't love God. And it says, now Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he made a marriage alliance with Ahab. What? Ahab, I don't know if you know about Ahab, but that's the one that was married to Jezebel. And they went around killing prophets, acting terribly to their people, following idols. They were not interested in following God. So on one hand, you've got Jehoshaphat, who's just said to his people, we're going to teach God's word, we're going to follow God's word. He's got abundance, and in the next moment, he's making a marriage alliance with King Ahab, who's literally doing the opposite of what he's doing. And what we'll see is that his son now, he set his son up in marriage to Ahab, and unfortunately, his son follows the way of Ahab. So this decision has such bad consequences. 
And it does make me wonder what Jehoshaphat was thinking. What was he thinking? Sometimes we're so blinded by our brilliance, we forget who it is that has made us shine. Jehoshaphat made peace with a man of war. And perhaps it was out of fear. Perhaps he wanted to continue the the peace and he wanted to secure that for his son and his line. Either way, he got complacent. And it didn't have a great consequence. And sometimes what looks like wisdom in a worldly sense is absolute spiritually, it's just foolish in the spiritual realm. And it can leave us compromised. And this is why as Christians we need to cultivate a discerning heart. Discerning what the Holy Spirit is saying. Coming under God's authority. And obeying his voice. The thing about an alliance is, you're literally connecting yourself with someone. You're saying, we're going to benefit each other. You're saying, there's something similar in us that we're going to connect with. You're saying, we've got the same interests and qualities. So in Jehoshaphat, aligning himself with King Ahab, that, that has created a problem. And what I'm not saying is that we, we, as Christians, we should love everyone. We should love everyone. We should have friends that are different. But in terms of aligning ourselves, we need to align ourselves with people who love God. It has such a big influence on what happens when we align ourselves with the right people or the wrong people. So after this alliance, of course, Ahab wants to call him some favors. What does he do next? He says, why don't you come and join me in a war, Jehoshaphat? And I think in the scripture you can see Jehoshaphat is not sure about this, but it's a bit too late now that you're family. King Ahab is literally like, we're family now, so let's go to war together. So Jehoshaphat says, "Um, why don't we inquire of God first? So in 2 Chronicles 18, he says, let's inquire of God first if we should do this. So Ahab then brings out 400 men. And they all say, yeah, God is with you in this war. Let's go for it. And you can see that Jehoshaphat, at this point, is discerning that this is not the right thing. Because then he goes, are there any more prophets that you can find out what God is saying? They find one prophet, Micaiah, the one voice. And he says, God is not with you in this war, Jehoshaphat. And unfortunately, Jehoshaphat still goes to war with King Ahab. You see, who you align yourself with will deeply impact the choices you make. And I think at this point in the scripture, you can see Jehoshaphat knows it's not right, but yet he's, he's in too deep at this point. He's in too deep. And this war actually ends up with Ahab dying, and it ends up with Jehoshaphat having a very near-death experience. The good thing about this, though... He's got to a low point, but the good thing about this, though, is that he then reestablishes his love of God's word. And I think he realizes, do you know what? Let's go back to my roots. So he reestablishes the Levites to preach God's word. He sends them out through all of Judah. He says, we're going to love God's word. We're going to follow God's word. And we're going to operate under the fear of God. And this is what God requires of us. 
Sometimes we are going to make bad calls in life. Sometimes we will mess up. Sometimes those patterns of old might start creeping in. Sometimes we might get a bit complacent. But it's in those moments where we turn back to God. Where we turn back to our first love. Where we turn back to the love of his word. And in those moments when we do that, God is so quick to forgive us. He is so faithful to forgive. In our moments of failure, when we turn to him, he is so quick to forgive. And I think at this point in time, you see in Jehoshaphat's life, God's hand of mercy on him. A prophet says to him, should you help the wicked and those who love to hate the Lord? Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you, and you have set your heart to seek God. So God is like, do you know what? I see a bit of good in you. You have messed up, big time. But I see a bit of good in you. I see that your heart is to love me, and I'm going to have mercy. And we were talking earlier about God's mercy, and I was just like, yes. I think God wants us to know that he is merciful and just and quick to forgive us. So from this, Jehoshaphat reestablishes his love of God's word. Um, we're going to talk about another great moment in his life when his faith is tested. So some officials go to Jehoshaphat and they say, look, the Ammonites, the Moabites, they're planning to attack you. So we need to get ready. And in that moment, I don't know about you, if I was a ruler surrounded by all those uh, different tribes and enemies, as we saw on that map, the first thing I would do would start strategizing, getting a plan together, getting my officials together, making a plan. Theologians say um, Jehoshaphat had a, an army that was about 1.1 million. So he had, he had a strong, good army, lots of people ready to fight for him. The scriptures say he felt afraid. He was afraid. But what did he do? His first reaction was to pray. His first reaction was to praise. And he actually gathered all of the people together. And he said, we're going to pray. We're going to fast. What a wonderful example. And I think he's learned his lesson. When I'm feeling afraid, what do I do? Let me pray. So it says he, they gathered the wives, the children, the men, everybody came together as a community and prayed. That was the first thing they did. And it's such a wonderful example for us, isn't it, as Christians today? What do we do when we're afraid? Do we start to plan first, or do we pray? And then the next great um, principle from this is get your community together. If you're struggling, get your community to pray with you. And if you get the chance, please do read, we won't do it today because it's a bit of a long prayer, but please do read Jehoshaphat's prayer in this moment. It's really beautiful and heartfelt. And it is a pivotal moment where he's desperate. He's desperate. And in that moment, he calls out all the promises to Abraham and David. He said, Lord, you said this. Let it be fulfilled in my time. And so in, in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 5, we'll just get a snippet of that prayer. He said, O oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? 
You rule over the kingdoms of the nation. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. There's a shift here. He knows his strength is from God. He calls out and declares God's character. He turns to God first. He gathers people to pray. And he praises under pressure. And in that moment, there's a prophetic voice that then comes, a rhema word. Jehaziel, the prophet, says to him, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast enemy. The battle is not yours, but God's. He says, you will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Go out against them and the Lord will be with you. And what actually happened in this moment, Jehoshaphat, the people started praising. And so these tribes that were coming to attack actually started devouring each other, attacking themselves. They didn't even reach Judah. And it was literally as the people were praising. So Jehoshaphat won this battle without having to fight. And this is what God does for us when we praise. He does the work for us. So they've gone out to then fight, and it's all done. They don't need to do anything. God's done it. And this is how we fight our battles, isn't it? Sometimes it looks like we're surrounded. In the physical, we're under pressure. We don't know what to do. But in the spiritual, we are surrounded by God's presence when we praise. And this is what God does when we hand over control to him. He miraculously provides in unexpected ways. And I think it's a fulfillment of God's overall promise on on this line, this house of Judah as well. He said his mercy will remain with David's descendants. It says that in Samuel. We see that mercy over Jehoshaphat's life and God's favor over him and protection. And this covenant that God made with the people of Judah, he fulfilled it in Jesus and that ultimately we have a new covenant now under Jesus. Jesus is our redeemer. In Isaiah it says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're under this new covenant now. Perfect sacrifice. We've been given a new spiritual inheritance. In Hebrews, it says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts. I will write them on their minds. I will remember their their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of this, there is no longer any offering for sin. And Jesus is that ultimate sacrifice for our sin. Jesus is that ultimate Messiah. Jesus is that ultimate king who has brought with him an eternal kingdom. And through his sacrifice, through his blood, we have redemption. The Bible says that Jesus entered once and for all into the holy places by means of his own blood, 
thus securing eternal redemption. And when we put our trust in him, turn away from our sins, ask for forgiveness, he will forgive us and cleanse us. And what we learn uh, from Jehoshaphat's story, I think is really a picture of God's mercy. He wasn't perfect. He was not perfect. But overall, God's mercy on his life is so evident. And in those moments of challenge, weakness, being afraid, what do we take from it? He turned to God in those moments. And as Christians, we will face challenges. We will face situations where we're like, I don't know what to do. But it's what do we do in those moments? Do we turn to him? Do we pray? Do we praise? So I want to um, end by leaving you with an exhortation from Hebrews. It says, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but we are of those that have faith and preserve their souls. And I think this is just so beautiful. We need endurance for this, for this thing called life. We're going to have lots of different seasons, lots of different things that happen, the highs, the lows. For I love, even as someone said earlier, it's, it's knowing that God was with you at the beginning, he will be with you at the end. He'll give us that endurance to run every season well. And it doesn't mean that every season will be easy, but it means in every season we're, we're turning to him. We're asking for his leading. We're asking for his guidance and seeing his hand of mercy on our lives. So three things that we can learn from Jehoshaphat that I want to leave you with. Let's, have, let's be a people that have a foundation in God's word that love God's word, that follow his word, and actually listen. So when he talks to us, we're obedient and we listen to what he's saying. We need to align ourselves with people who love God. As we saw, when he aligned himself with King Ahab, to be honest, with his son, that had some really bad consequences. And even at the end of his days, King Ahab's son has tried to drag him into war as well. So decisions have consequences. So we need to be careful who do we align ourselves with. And thirdly, let's be people who pray and praise in the midst of hardship, but also in abundance. Because I think in abundance, sometimes we can get complacent and forget who is the meter of all of our needs. So let's be people who pray and praise, both in need and in times of abundance. So Jehoshaphat started strongly, he had challenges, and he ended well. So I'm encouraged by um, his story. He remained steadfast to God in the end. He knew how to pray. So I think it would be really good if we gathered back together in worship, so if the band could come up. Um, I, I just feel that God wants to refill us again with his Holy Spirit and give us a fresh understanding of our spiritual inheritance so that we can remember again that we're under a new family, we're under a new line, lineage. We don't have to follow the ways, the futile ways of our forefathers and awful mothers, but Jesus has given us a new spiritual inher inheritance in him. 
So if we gather and just turn and lift our eyes to him.